Alright, good morning, Amokyo family. This is the last of our Roman series uh, for our pulpit. Uh, before we go further, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Come, let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word, your life-giving word. And today as we hear a word, we pray, Lord, indeed you will bring life, even as we have a healing service today. Lord, we pray you not only teach and renew our minds, but that, Lord, your word will bring healing powers to our bodies and souls as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we all know, our circuit breaker period is ending, and soon we are going into phase one. But one thing we do know for sure uh, through this whole circuit breaker experience is that while we can connect online, there is something special about meeting face to face. And that's why Paul longed to visit the Christians in Rome. He wanted to visit them in person. Now we have a better glimpse into deep, uh, Paul's deep sense of longing for physical Christian fellowship, evident in Romans chapter 16, where Paul sends a long list of greetings. Chapters, uh, you know, like Romans 16 is where we normally gloss over because we see a whole list of names. But if we just slow down and read the descriptions of the people listed, we see how Paul spoke greatly and affectionately about many of them, how they work hard in the Lord. One was even described by Paul as being like a mother to him. We tend to remember Hebrews chapter 11 better as the chapter of the great hall of fame. But here in Romans 16, we see all the important people in Paul's life. Fellow Christians, regardless of Jews or Gentiles, people who mattered a lot to Apostle Paul. Not sure if you remember, but we have uh, said repeatedly that Romans was written to address the tension between Jews and Gentiles. And notice the list of people here in Romans 16. Paul not only specifically mentions Adronicus, Junia, Herodian, his fellow Jews, but also Priscilla, Aquila, as well as many Gentiles. And so Paul was not just highlighting the importance of fellow Christians and the genuine longing for Christian fellowship. Paul was deliberate in painting the picture that Jewish and Gentile believers are really one, in one family, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Recall what Pastor Emmanuel preached last week about seeking peace and harmony as God's holy people. Romans chapter 15 verses 5 to 7, this is a recap. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So again, I say to you, don't mistake the book of Romans to be primarily about an exposition of the gospel, even though there are 11 solid chapters of that. The book of Romans is primarily about bringing Jews and Gentiles together in Christ Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 15, verses 8 to 12, as well as Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27. We are referred to it in your own time. The book of Romans is primarily about being one family in Christ, which is why I deliberately have us sing the song, Make Us One, before this sermon. There is something special about family, isn't it? No matter how incorrigible a family member may be, no matter how irritating and frustrating a family member may be, we are forever bounded together and there are always moral obligations simply because we are family. I don't know about you, but this circuit breaker period has revealed to me in my extended time at home 
that I am far more impatient, far more unloving, far more unlike Christ than I would care to admit. This circuit breaker has also revealed, on the other hand, how loving and accepting my wife has been of me and my weaknesses. Above all, it showed me how much I needed God's power to save, transform and empower me. Now, isn't this the crux of the message of the gospel? That we are all sinners alike, deserving of God's wrath, but God in his mercy and love has provided Jesus as our atoning sacrifice so that we all can be freely justified through faith. That's Romans chapter 1 to 4 and Romans chapter 9 to 11. More than that, because we have been crucified with Christ and his Holy Spirit lives in us, we are all equally empowered to live a godly life, exemplified by personal holiness, Romans chapter 5 to 8, and corporate unity and love, Romans chapter 12 to 15. And so if there's one prayer I pray most often about our church, it is this, Lord, make us one, Lord, make us one, Lord. Help us to genuinely see and love one another as loving brothers and sisters in Christ. Ultimately, church is not an organization. It is a family unit. And as a family, there are many times we choose to stick in there, even though we may disagree at times. So let this be our godly ambition number one as our Amokyo family. Our ambition to strive to live together always in peace and harmony in everything we do, home with a heart. Moving on, I'm aware that this circuit breaker period has formed in us a new habit of Sunday worship. While we now have greater outreach because of our uh, services going online, sermons going online, we can reach more people, including non-Christians. There are many aspects which are probably unhelpful. For example, because we no longer have to wake up earlier, we don't have to dress up and travel to church, we can easily slip into an attitude of worship as convenience. Worship as convenience. But biblically speaking, worship is never convenient. Worship always involves sacrifices. But for me, this convenience of worship is not even yet the worst thing that can happen. Neither is the deep in pledges and offerings the most worrying thing that can happen to the church. For me, as a pastor, I think the worst problem that can happen as a result of extended worship at home is that we are conditioned to think that we can live the Christian life alone that we don't really need each other to grow as Christians. Maybe we think to ourselves, all we need are just some worship songs, some sermons, and there are so many options on the YouTube, internet. But you know what's the problem with merely having intake but no output? We become like the Dead Sea. Yes, we may be filled with gems and minerals like the Dead Sea, but it is absolutely unfit for life to thrive. Perhaps we may know of Christians like that, good at teaching, filled with all knowledge about the scripture, but when we interact with them at the deeper level, it becomes toxic instead. A truly godly Christian, on the other hand, will breathe life and enable communities to thrive. In other words, the true measure of your Christian life is not whether you alone are growing in the faith, but are other people growing in the faith because of you. That is the true measure of our Christian discipleship. Are others growing in their faith because of us? 
We have just concluded our 12-day devotional series. If you haven't started or completed, no worries, uh, take your time. We still have phase one to do so. But do finish this series. It's very important that we are on the same page as a church family to prepare for Jesus' second coming. If you have completed this devotional series, you will understand that when Jesus comes, the yardstick that Jesus will measure is how many others we have discipled in the faith. Once you have this understanding, it will completely revolutionize our Christian faith and our Christian walk. Discipleship is not ultimately about attending a Bible study class, however valid and important that is. Neither is discipleship about how well we have stewarded God's resources, how important, however important that is as well. At the end of the day, discipleship is measured by discipleship. How many have we discipled in the Lord? Here's my take on that familiar you know, parable of talents, where one was given five talents, a second man given two talents, the last man giving, given only one talent. The first one said to the master, Sir, you've entrusted me with five disciples and I've gained five more. And the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. The second one said, Sir, I have two disciples and now I have gained two more. Again, the master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. The final servant said, Oh, sir, I thought you will disciple him by yourself. I thought he will grow by himself. After all, there are so many worship services, so many sermons online. So I kind of left him to himself. At this, the master grew angry and said, You wicked and lazy servant, you shall be punished. As for this talented disciple of mine who was not properly discipled, pass it and trust it to the first man who has discipled five others. You see, discipleship really is the yardstick that Jesus will hold us accountable to. In case you have forgotten, in the three short years of Jesus' ministry, where did he spend most of his time and energy? Yes, he fed the hungry, he healed the sick, and even raised the dead. But Jesus spent most of his time and energy in discipling the twelve, especially the three, Peter, James, and John. We need a complete revolution of the way we live as Christians. We need a complete renewal of our minds. The most important work as a Christian is to disciple other Christians. Let then this be our second godly ambition, disciple-making. In that way, I see God's hand in this COVID-19 crisis. No, I do not give thanks for the virus, but I give thanks in this circuit breaker that God is reshaping, giving us time to reshape, redefine, renew our minds about what church really is about. Church is not about the size of our worship services. Church is not primarily about producing online worship services, however important that is. Otherwise, you can't see this, right? You can't even hear this message. Many programs are legitimate, have its place. But too often, we are caught up in running these programs that we forget that our main task is discipleship. And discipleship means we must believing in Christian community. How can I truly disciple someone else if I don't spend time with that person? Conversely, how can I be discipled if I don't subject myself to other Christians? Which is why godly ambition number one comes first. It's fundamental. We begin there. 
plugged into Christian community, living in peace and harmony, first to be disciple ourselves, and then we can disciple others. Listen to what Paul himself says in Romans chapter 15, verses 24, 29, and 32. He writes, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ so that I may come to you with joy by God's great will and in your company be refreshed. You see, there is a mutual edification, a mutual building up, mutual blessing when Christians come together and disciple each other. As long as COVID-19 continues, we will no longer you know, meet together in a, a group, whether as a small group or as a large group. And perhaps that isn't such a bad thing, because if we only met in small groups, for example, even if a small group does become a cluster, the rest of the church is not in danger. Imagine if you went back to the days, you know, where you had three, four hundred packs in the century. If one person who is infected comes in, the other three to four hundred people are in danger. But if you meet in small groups, less than 20, if one person is infected, the rest of the church is safe. Maybe, you know, it's time to rethink church. It is not about the size of the gathering, but the quality of the small group that gathers. The false you know, impression of attendance equaling spiritual health of a church has been, mis- has been misplaced for a long time. Why is a thousand member church better than a hundred member church? Why is 20,000 better than 20? In fact, before COVID-19 even struck, I had already told our leaders that I will be removing attendance records from their bulletins and just report the numbers at LCC for the benefit of the leaders. Why? Because numbers are not the true measure of spiritual growth. If we truly understand what Jesus taught about the parable of the East, we will understand that the kingdom of God spreads invisibly, but eventually influences the entire batch of dough. If we truly disciple people, which is a quiet work, unseen work, because it's one-to-one, one-to-a-small group, our church numbers will grow, I believe, you know, naturally it should grow, But pure numerical growth does not necessarily translate to real spiritual growth. What I'm really after as your pastor is your genuine spiritual growth as a disciple of Jesus Christ with the goal that you will disciple someone else. But some of you might ask, but how do I disciple others when I have not been discipled myself? That's a valid question. But I present to you the beauty of the discipleship system that John Wesley has set up through the class meeting and the three general rules. All, if not most, of your zone and cell leaders have undergone the class meeting training by me and the staff. We have modeled for you what it means to examine ourselves frequently in the Lord and urge all of you to do likewise. Discipleship doesn't have to be complicated. It just needs to be genuine. You don't need another book of discipleship. If you are participating in a class meeting that is done rightly, where we all examine our souls honestly before the Lord and accountable to each other, you are already being discipled. You are already discipling someone else with your testimonies, with the struggles that you share. Discipleship in Wesleyan fashion is simply reproducing the class meeting. 
holding everyone accountable to these three general rules. A couple of weeks ago, when I spoke on the sermon on IOU, I spoke about paying it forward. Unknown to most of you, I have started a small blessing movement. I surprised several ones with an unannounced blessing of food delivery. And then I said, if you have been blessed, pay it forward. Pay it forward. I don't know how far this blessing has spread by now, but I pray that it will grow in momentum so that we will understand and see 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 come to life. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. There are four spiritual generations mentioned here in just one verse. First, there is Paul, the me here. Second, there is Timothy, the you in this verse. Third, there are reliable people, the third generation, who will be qualified to teach others, the fourth generation. The analogies in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the dutiful soldier, the disciplined athlete, and the diligent farmers are used by Paul to exhort Timothy to focus on the work of discipleship. Therefore, let us make discipleship our godly ambition too. Please don't forget Jesus' final instructions to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The imperative in this command is not go, but make disciples. That's the command. That's the imperative. The proper English translation from the Greek construction ought to be, as you go, make disciples. This circuit breaker really, I hope he has taught us, it is not about going to church, but really being the church. And as the people of God, we are really scattered across the city, the city that we are called to pastor. Wherever we go, we are to make disciples. Who are the best people to disciple taxi drivers? It's the taxi driver. Who are the best people to understand the challenges of being a hawker and disciple a hawker? That's right, it's a fellow hawker. Who's going to disciple the HR professional, that lawyer, the security guard, that contractor, whatever the vocation may be? It's you. All of you are the best people sent by God to disciple your colleagues and pastor your workplaces. Let's come back to the Great Commission. What is the final result of discipleship according to Jesus? It is to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. Obedience to God's command is what Jesus ultimately desired. Why? Because God's command brings life. Our God seeks to bring life. He told Adam at the start, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for in the day of you eat of it, you shall surely die. You see, God's commandment from the very beginning has always been to bring about life. That is why Jesus gave that great commission that in obedience we might have life. Discipleship is not just a religious activity. It is about bringing life to our city, to individuals, to families, to community. 
Today we are having our healing service. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 1 to 2 says this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your hearts. For they will prolong your life for many years and bring you peace and prosperity. The Hebrew word for keeping God's command doesn't just mean protecting you know, and guarding it, but it also implies complying with obedience. This means we cannot just simply choose a few Bible passages you know, that we like a lot. For example, Psalm 23, which comforts us, the Lord is my shepherd. Instead, our confidence of divine health comes from our obedience to God's word. The full counsel, the whole counsel of God's word. Obedience to God's word happens really at two levels. First of all, we must believe that what God says in his word is true. And then secondly, to put it into action. I think we understand this principle is true for a lot of things in life. For example, if a doctor says to you, take this medicine, it's good for you. First of all, you must believe right in your head that what the doctor says is true. But to truly believe, to show that you truly believe what the doctor says is true, you will have to physically take that medicine, right? And that is why every healing service is founded upon the Word of God, the preaching of God's Word. Divine healing stems, first of all, from believing what God has written in His Word is true, and then you live your life in obedience to that Word. That's how divine healing comes. When we comply and obey God's written Word, divine healing comes. Notice this is Paul's goal as well, as he concludes the book of Romans. That this ought to be our godly ambition number three, to bring as many as possible to obedience to God through the preaching of the gospel and discipleship. Listen again to Romans chapter 16, the second uh, last verse, 26. But now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes through faith. Paul's godly ambition is that the Gentiles will come to obedience through faith. That's Paul's godly ambition. And it's based upon prophetic writings that come from the command of God. Do you see it's all linked up? God wants to bring life. Paul is the channel bringing God's word, which is life, to the Gentiles who by obedience will naturally receive that life. Paul, of course, a bit different from us. He had a very specific call, an apostle to the Gentiles. So for us, while it's a godly ambition, let's not be too ambitious here. We may not be called to be apostle to the Gentiles, a whole new nation group. If we can just bring one to two people to obedience to Christ, and disciple them to do likewise. I think we are already being faithful stewards. Remember, not many of us will have five talents, but let's not waste even that one talent, that one disciple that God has entrusted to us to bring into obedience. As we close, I want to pick up again on Romans uh, chapter 15, verses 18 to 19. Paul writes, I will not venture to speak of anything Accept what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey. Obey God by what I have said and done. So again here, Paul is very clear. He wants to bring Gentiles to obedience. And then he lists the three ways. 
by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and also by what he says and does, words and deeds. So that from Jerusalem all the way to Iricium, I fully proclaim the gospel of Christ. So let's take a moment here to dissect what Paul says. Paul says he will not speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished. That's the centrality of the gospel message. It is Christ Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and second coming. Paul was very disciplined, very focused. He kept the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing really is always about Jesus Christ. But Paul also had a very, very clear purpose. His godly ambition is to bring Gentiles to obedience, not just to salvation, but to full obedience. That's where discipleship comes in. Again, we need to recover this understanding. Every Christian is not just to be involved in evangelism, but discipleship. Then Paul elaborates the three ways he will bring people to obedience. First of all, by word and deed. Then that's why there's always teaching and preaching in church. And that's why also pastors and leaders have to lead by example. We must do what we preach. But it's not just us, you know, pastors and leaders. It's you too. For many people out there, you are the only Christian they will meet. So if you don't walk the talk, these people will not take a step closer to Christ, much less being discipled into full obedience. Paul then says the second way he will bring people to obedience is by the power of signs and wonders. I've said before, I'm not afraid to state it again, if we preach the gospel of Christ with genuine faith, we should expect God to back us up with his power of signs and wonders. We will have our healing service today in a short while. I will pray, we will pray for those of you who have needs. But when we were discussing this uh, healing service two weeks ago, we had two options. First of all, you know, to have a YouTube live chat, and then we'll pray for each one as the prayer request is made. Or we could have a Zoom uh, prayer room via Zoom online, the platform, where the prayer leaders and I, you know, will pray for each one in separate breakout rooms. In the end, I opted for option number two. You know why? Because the prayer leaders are already trained, already discipled. They are equipped by the power of the Spirit of God to perform signs and wonders just as I am, just as Paul is doing. Why? Because it is God, the Spirit of God, who does the healing. We are not superior to anyone else. It is God who heals. I definitely don't want to be the only one doing healing ministry. Then I have not really discipled all of you. If the gospel is true, as I have been proclaiming to you, then all of you, when you pray for the sick, you should expect signs and wonders. For healing to take place. Now, if you have a need for healing, I just want to say to you, remember what God's Word says in Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, all my soul, all my soul, all my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And so if you truly believe God's word here, the passage for our healing today, if you want to see healing in our bodies, remember it's about applying God's word. And what does God's word say here? Praise God. Learn to worship God and praise God. Don't focus on your ailments and sicknesses. 
focus on God, praise Him, praise Him until that healing comes. By the way, for those of you who have gotten the Zoom link online earlier from pastoral team member Gerald, do join us via Zoom after this online service is over. We really wish to pray for all of you individually, really to show that we care for you. Healing comes by faith in God's Word. If you feel that you lack the faith, then lean on the faith of others, those of us in the Zoom meeting. But always remember this, Jesus was able to heal simply by speaking the Word. He didn't lay hands on the sick all the time. There were many times He simply spoke the Word and the person was healed. You see, God is not limited by space and time like we are. And so we can expect God to heal over a Zoom meeting online. We can expect God to heal even via a pre-recorded worship service like we are today. Again, God is not limited by time and space. His Word is actually 2,000 years old. And yet, it continues to bring life. You see, our faith ultimately must be in God. He is the source of our divine healing. When we remain in communion and fellowship with God, we obey His commands. That's how His divine blessings and health flows. Paul ends off by saying, I want to bring people to obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit. Incidentally, today is also Pentecost Sunday. It's such a wonderful, you know, coincidence, right? But as we all know, there is no coincidence from God's point of view. What happened on Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came upon all the disciples, not just the 12 disciples, but all 120 of them. Meaning God's desire and plan has always been for His Holy Spirit to come upon every single believer. Before the disciples went out of the upper room to preach the gospel, they were first of all filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in some ways, like the disciples, we are locked up. Not, you know, in the upper room. We are scattered, but yet we are all locked up. But being locked up really can mean a completely new way of life when we emerge from the season that we are locked up. Like how a butterfly emerges out of a cocoon, when we live by God's Spirit, our Christian life, when we emerge from this circuit breaker and even phase one, our Christian life should not be the same again. There is so much to speak about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to go through today, but suffice it to say that living by the power of the Holy Spirit is not just the most exciting way to live as a Christian, but really the only possible way to live like Jesus Christ and Apostle Paul did. There is an entirely new supernatural and spiritual dimension that opens up when we are led by the Holy Spirit. Words of knowledge, prophecy, discernment of spirit, so and so forth. And this spiritual dimension is what really brings the fullness of the proclamation of the gospel message. Because ultimately, Christianity is not merely a mental assent, belief of the truths of the gospel, but really, Christianity is about a life, a lifestyle, a relationship, a life that is fully alive, fully lived in God. I tell you something as your pastor. I'm not looking forward to going back to life as normal after this circuit breaker period. Because the way I see it, normal is actually sub-normal, according to God's word. What is normal is this. Every believer needs to be living the Spirit-filled life, bringing healing wherever we go. That's normal. 
Every believer needs to be discipling someone else. That's normal. Every believer is deeply plugged into a genuinely loving Christian community. That's normal Christianity. Are we there? According to the Bible standards? No. That's why I really hope we don't go back to life as normal. We need to go back to life so-called supranormal, if that was normal previously. We need to go back into a new life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Recently, a great man of God was called home, David Pawson. He wrote a, he wrote a wonderful book called The Normal Christian Birth. You know, I encourage all of you, if you can, uh, get your hands on this book somehow in the next few months. Read it to see what it really means to begin your life and continue your life as a Christian. Another book I want to recommend to you, My Watchman Nee, The Normal Christian Life. These two books will give us good foundations to understand what truly normal Christianity looks like. And so it is my prayer and desire that we will not go back you know, to church as normal. We need to be living spirit-filled lives, deeply passionate about discipleship, always plugged into Christian community to be disciple ourselves and also to disciple others. Let me now summarize what we have covered today. The Christian's first godly ambition is to maintain the unity of the body of Christ because this is the reason Christ died to end all separation between God and man, to end all discrimination between races, to end all conflicts within families and communities. The Christian's second godly ambition is to disciple others, in particular, the Wesleyan way of discipleship through the class meeting. This is a proven method, and if you are not in the cell group through that runs a class meeting, do contact us, do join one, we will help you connect with someone in the class meeting. If you are a disciple in a class meeting, over the course of time, you will be able to disciple others too, simply by replicating the class meeting, opening up our hearts, examining our souls before the Lord, and being honest with each other. The Christian's third godly ambition is to preach the gospel, but not just the message alone, so that we may bring others into obedience. That's the ultimate goal. We preach the gospel in three ways, by word and deed, Fully confident, you know, the second way, that signs and wonders will accompany us as we preach the gospel and we do so fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. Before we close, I just want to spend some time praying for those of us who need physical healing. But before we pray, I want to get us to focus again on the Word of God. It says in Proverbs 3, Verses 1 to 2, which I preached earlier. If we keep God's command, if we not just treasure it in our hearts, but we apply it, we obey it, it will prolong our life and bring peace and prosperity. We also hear in Psalm 103, we need to praise the Lord. When we praise God and focus on Him, that's how divine healing comes. And though I'm separated from you by both space and time, God is not separated by this. I feel God's presence right now and I believe God will touch you and heal you. Wherever the part of the body that is unwell, invite you to just lay hands on yourself. Don't jump into prayer straight away and don't ask God to heal straight away. Focus on God. Praise Him for who He is. He's the loving Father. He's the wonderful Savior. 
is the companion, the Holy Spirit who empowers you, who lives with you. As you fellowship with Him, as you praise Him, as you obey His word, receive that healing by faith. And so Lord, we thank you for your life-giving word. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us through the entire book of Romans. Indeed, there is so much more that we can go in. But Lord, with the little that we already know, we pray, Lord, you help us to obey. That's the key. It's, it's not good to just know so much and yet have little fruits to show for it. So Lord, we pray, help us to live out your word. Give us a fresh, a godly ambition. The godly ambition that Paul had as well to live in unity, you know, in Christian fellowship, to be able to disciple others and preach the gospel. And we pray, Lord, as we do this, you are the faithful God. Your Holy Spirit will be with us, is with us, and we will see healing wherever we go. So, Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.